Welcome to Lady Hope Dealer. My name is Amber Yalot Shaver. I'll be sharing with you about life, recovery, ups, downs, but most of all, how others and myself found hope in a hopeless world. I look forward to sharing my testimony with you. I'm so excited to have my husband and a few other individuals on to share their testimony and what God's done in their life. And in between them times, I'm just going to be sharing what God's placed on my heart in this season. I'm just so excited to have you with me. So let's dive in. Welcome to Lady Hope Diller. My name is Amber Gillot Shaver. So today I'm just going to share a bit about myself and my background, my upraising, my traumas and ups and downs and craziness in my life. I'm grateful that you're here. And I just want to tell you that um, I will be using some words that people call trigger words. I don't find words triggering to me. That's me. Whenever God set me free from addiction, he set me free. I'm grateful because the word says, who the sun sets free is free indeed. So during this podcast, you will hear me praise God. You will hear me excited about what God's done in my life and how God got me sober wasn't self. So let's just start off by, I, I was a product of a divorced family. My biological mother and my dad divorced when I was probably like three years old. Mom moved on, dad moved on, everybody moved on. Um, my biological mother and father had three of us children together. I was the youngest out of those three. I had two other brothers, older brothers, not other. So dad moved on and married a woman that had six children so we had nine of us in the house and my birth mother I don't know really a lot about that situation with her new husband or what was her new husband then um because she wasn't around at four and a half I seen her for the last time and that was in the driveway she dropped me off from a weekend with her and she was going to come back and get me the next weekend and I never I didn't see her again until just recently So, from that day forward, that was one of the biggest days of my life because at that point, abandonment came in, right? And honestly speaking, that day was probably the first time I had remembered being molested as a child. And those two traumatic things tied in together and it just seems like an explosion from there. So living in a mixed home with a mixed family i was the youngest out of nine um there were family members in and out they lived with us they didn't live with us my dad was a hard worker he worked several jobs he was a bus driver in the morning and the evening he was a janitor for the school during the day and a handyman all day long and then in the afternoon he was a deputy for a county nearby and he just worked so hard. Whenever he married my stepmother, he had told her that he didn't want her to work because he finally wanted her to sit at home and take care of her kids the way that she had desired all them years. Because she was a mom, she worked, she had six kids, she supported them and she wasn't able to be at home with them a lot. So during that time, being four and a half, five years old, new family, new people, I was completely a daddy's girl from the day I was born. And whenever that stepfamily came in and my stepmom came in, she instantly put a wedge between my dad and myself. 
I was always on my dad's hip, always like on his back or on his shoulders at four and a half. I was daddy's girl. I had everything I wanted. I had all the rainbow bright, strawberry shortcake, all these fun, fabulous things. Well, whenever they came along, that kind of got cut out. And of course you went from three kids to, to nine kids. So naturally you're going to have to make some, some cuts. And so whenever that wedge came between my dad and myself, I really didn't have anybody else to turn to. I had my brothers, but they were going through things. Little did I know, like the same time that I was being molested by these family members, my two other brothers was being physically abused by them. And I recall memories, like I would tell them, I'm like, oh my gosh, I had this memory and I was little and this was happening. And they're like, there's no way you remember that. And then, of course, just, just this year, in 2013, my brother messaged me and confided in me some stuff that took place. And I was like, oh my gosh, I wasn't crazy. Like, these things did happen. <clears throat> so, there was a lot of abuse going on in the home. My father had no idea. Like, honestly, my dad would have flipped all the way out. Um, he was a great dad, you know. He might have had to beg, borrow, and work triple jobs but he made sure that we had what we needed when we needed it and you know we struggled we were a poor family um we moved quite a bit we had several grandkids that was raised in our home that i helped raise so anyway let's get past all of that little childhood trauma and then move into maybe like i don't know maybe about 10 years old 11 years old, my dad and my stepmom started going to a church and they became real religious. They became really bound up in this mindset of everybody's going to hell that has a TV and they just started with this, you know, this major change in life where we were doing one thing and then all of a sudden it's like we can't watch TV, we can't have a radio, we can't cut our hair, we can't wear pants. And it was just a major, major explosion in my life. So all the other brothers and sisters was allowed to do what they wanted to do. But me being the youngest out of nine, I had to follow the rules of what my mom and dad said. And I hated it because I was made fun of. I was bullied for the way I dressed. We It was bad enough we didn't even have money for real good clothes or name brand things. Now we're wearing dresses all the time and not able to cut my hair, can't wear makeup. You know, where's the fun in life? So I recall one Sunday being at this big church and they had, they didn't believe in TV, but they believed in a slideshow. And I recall them showing a slideshow and it was about the Mark of the Beast and 666 and all this craziness, right? Just insanity. And all these people were going to hell and they're going to get, you know, these plant implants and these chips and scanners. And... I remember getting scared to death and I was like, oh my gosh, I got to get saved. I got to get saved. Well, I got saved, right? And then from that point on, it was definitely a roller coaster because dad was excited. We got the Holy Ghost and spoken tongues and, you know, all this jazz. And they started preaching that people that have sex are going to hell and people that drink are going to hell and people that, you know, fornicate before marriage and just all these things it was just a long laundering list of things that we were going to go to hell for no matter what so at this time the abuser had moved out for a while and then moved back in at this time he was living back in the house 
and things started to take place again and it was just it was crazy because I was thinking oh my gosh this preacher is up here preaching and telling me that I'm going to hell and I didn't even want this to happen I didn't even ask for this to happen like I'm going to hell because these things sexually are happening to me and I can't stop them so immediately I just I was like I can't win for losing so if I'm going to hell I might as well bust it wide open right so I started to rebel I started to seek out relationships with boys with men with whomever would show me attention um, the abuser at a point in all this had went to prison around 14 or 15 years old I had um, went to school and everybody was like messing with drugs and pills at this time I'd already had my first drink by like age 12 if not 11 and everybody was at school handing out pills and I was like oh I want to do this so I started taking pills and then I went home and dug through my dad's medicine closet and pulled out pills and I started dishing out pills too and and giving away and selling them and I think that's the first time that I remember the like my first prophetic vision I was sitting in a classroom across from a guy that I had given some pills to and it was drama class of all classes and I recall looking at him and I just knew I just knew like I seen him in my mind leaving in an ambulance and I'm like whoa what is this like I'm really tripping today and of course everything went fine in that class two periods later it's like seventh eighth period class and the cops come in asking for me and I just know oh my gosh something is really wrong so the cops take me out of the class they search my locker my backpack everything the cops drive me to my house search my dad's house looking for these pills wanting to know what they are because this dude is overdosed on the medication and is heading to the hospital they need to know what was in it and of course later on they found out what was in it praise god he did not die because that could have been real serious um that day changed his life and my life and shortly after that we um my the abuser that was in my life had gotten out of prison had come to stay with us as a matter of fact we picked him up and when we got home I recall finally having my own bedroom because I never had my own bedroom I had to share bedrooms with my sister and it was just I hated it but nonetheless I had a room and a bed so I'm grateful but I finally had my own room and I was able to paint it my color it was like this dark blue beautiful color and that was my safe place that was a place where I can talk on the phone I was finally being able to be a teenager dad kind of loosened up we stopped going to church I was wearing pants he was like you know what my dad loved him to death because he was an evangelist he was like he had a healing ministry he was really amazing and um he was just like I can't be up there behind the pulpit preaching God's words when one of my kids in prison for smuggling guns and the other ones out here doing drugs being found in the streets and the ditches high and my daughter wants to rebel and and be with boys and you know he was just like he gave up on it so at that point there was some freedom that came in but just a little bit of freedom and I was already rebelling so it was wide open for me drugs alcohol what have you like I was doing it so I recall the day that we picked this person up from prison and we brought him home everybody was so excited and I remember thinking oh my gosh please God let prison have changed him please let prison train change him because like I don't want to go through this again like I just don't want to live in this type of life and um, 
I recall the day that we got home, I'd went into my room and I was kind of cleaning and picking up stuff and he came in and he began to tell me what he had told all the prisoners. And he's like, I told all of my prison friends, he said that I was coming home to have sex with my 15 year old sister. And I freaked out and like ran across the room, which wasn't very far. And then he started chasing me around the bed because my bed was literally in the center of the room. And and my dad had come in and he's like, what's all the noise? And he's like, oh, I'm just playing with little sis. You know how it is. And, and I'm just like freaked out, just completely freaked out in this moment. And so at that point, again, he's living there drinking. He was an alcoholic. He beat his wife whenever she was around. Um, they had already had a child. I was helping raise that child. There was other children being born. I was helping raise them. I wasn't allowed to leave the house unless I had one of the kids with me, even to stay the night at a friend's house. Like, I had to take the kid with me, even though I didn't have the kid. So, from age 10, I was raising kids. But here we are at 15 years old. The abuser's back in the home, and things start taking place. I was so insecure as a child in my safety because I knew mom and dad was next door, but I knew that if he came in at night, I was not protected. I wasn't safe. So we had a really old home and it had like the skeleton knobs on it, the little cute round, everybody thinks they're fancy um, knobs and they didn't have a way to lock it. So I recall taking the laces out of my combat boots and wrapping it around a, a thumbtack that you just, a push pin that you just put in the wall and then wrapping it around a nail that was on the door thinking that I was gonna be safe, that this was gonna keep me safe. And I didn't sleep well. I just, I didn't like, so from that point on, it was, the abuse started happening again and it was all over the place. It was just, I was sad. I was sick. I was mad. And I was starting to, you know, experiment with more drugs with more friends. I recall one night we were at a party in Little Cyprus, which is a little, as part of our town. And I was watching a movie with all these people from drama class. And we were watching this movie called Striptease. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like, she's getting paid for her body. Like, these people want her. They love her. It's amazing. And from that point on, I was like, I just want to be a stripper when I get older. Forget about being a veterinarian. I don't have that intelligence. I don't have this. I don't have that. And, you know, that was all words of the enemy. And I know it now. But in that moment, I just wanted to be... I needed that attention. I didn't... I don't know that I necessarily knew what it was about because I don't I definitely know I didn't but I was already getting the negative attention from my body for my body from these individuals that were hurting me so I was like why not just get paid for it and honestly from that point on at age 15 I started doing private parties and it was there were things that happened that was just horrible that I should have never had my myself in them places um I won't make excuses and I won't sugarcoat it as I said I don't believe that anything that happened to me that was traumatic happened because God sent it. I believe that the devil is out to steal, kill, and destroy, and he was on a mission to kill me. There were several times where I could have been dead. There's several times where I should not have made it out of the hotel rooms where I was, or I shouldn't made it out of the houses where I was. So, 15 years old, doing private parties, the molestation is happening again. I get... Um, raped by someone that I knew 
and I'm still doing drugs. I'm still drinking. I am depressed. I am anxious. I am mad. I am sad. Like all these feelings at 15 years old just didn't have anywhere to go. And I knew at this point that I was going to hell because God was just sitting on this throne in heaven waiting for Ambry to mess up just so he can strike her with lightning and send her to hell one day. And I just knew it. So I was going to just bust hell wide open. So during that time, I had a bunch of good friends or a bunch of people I thought was good friends. I was sneaking around. I was doing things I wasn't supposed to be doing. Dad had no idea the things I was doing. Lord knows he would have freaked out. Um, so come to be about 17 years old. I'm running the roads with one of my best friends. She's amazing. I ended up meeting a guy, and from that point on, I was in love. I love this guy. He's amazing. He has his own house. So here I am at 17 years old, moved in with a 28-year-old man. What was I thinking? Seriously. I mean, I know I had the maturity of a 28-year-old woman because I'd been raising kids since I was, you know, 10 years old, and I was cleaning and cooking, but... Honestly, it was just a way out of my dad's house. It was a way out of getting away from the abuser. It was a way out of getting, you know, from underneath that control. And at this time, my mom was sick. My stepmom that had helped raise me, she was real sick. She had congestive heart failure and an enlarged heart, and only a third of it was working. So she was in and out of the hospital a lot. And so I moved out at 17 and moved in with this man and avoided my family for about six months to a year. And at that house, I was allowed to party. I was allowed to drink and do whatever I wanted. So 17, 18 years old, 24-hour party at my house. So again, you know, things just was going how they was going. So at age, I had just turned 20, and this guy and I had gotten a really bad fight. He didn't want to work and finally got a job or something. I just got my license, and I was so mad. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go make my own money. So I took off to a city that's close by and I went to every strip club in that town and got a job at every one of them. And the very next day, as my husband would say, it was off to the races because from that point on, I was dancing. I was drinking in the clubs, even though I was underage. I was, you know, I was living the lifestyle of which, you know, I wanted to live as a teenager because it was glorified by Hollywood. Let me just insert this here, that if you have a child, if you have a teen, and they're watching movies, if they're listening to something, pay attention to it, because honestly, what they're taking in, it plants a seed, and that's what it was with me. It was a seed that was planted. Even during that time, whenever I was 15 and 16 years old, like, a lot of us people were into watching the craft, and I had gotten into witchcraft Wicca. I had become someone that practiced Wicca, I was involved with it. It was just something that we all was doing. You know, it was a fad with the Ouija board. Little did I know that that is witchcraft. It is not just you worshiping the sun, moon, and the stars. Like, it is actual witchcraft. It goes against God's word. So, again, these seeds was planted from movies. It's crazy, but now you have to just look at what your kids are watching. So, anyway... 20 years old, working in strip clubs in a local town. I meet my kid's dad, and um, I end up with pregnant with my first son, which during that time that I, I was pregnant with him, I didn't drink or do drugs. Uh, the ex and I was completely toxic for one another. Months into the relationship and pregnant, we broke up, and I left him and had my son, and shortly after... 
I had my son. We got back together. Shortly after I had my son, which was like two to three months, I went directly back into dancing because I was like, I got a kid now. I have to support him. So let's rock this. Um, during that time, started drinking again, started using drugs, started being promiscuous again um, during that little gap. And then, of course, got back with my kid's dad and ended up pregnant again. My son was nine months old, I think, whenever we found out that I was pregnant with my youngest son. So here we are in this toxic relationship and I'm not dancing. I'm not doing anything. I'm not working at all because I'm pregnant again and I have a one-year-old and just going through life situations and we're dealing drugs. I recall my son's first birthday. We were living in a trailer park and his first birthday it should have been great it should have been wonderful here we are we're getting everything together and all of a sudden we notice that the trailer park we're living in is surrounded by the cops and now they're knocking on my door this is like three hours before we have my son's first birthday party and I recall my kid's dad saying we have to flush it we have to flush it like we're running to like both the bathrooms just flushing drugs down the toilet and I'm like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Because now we're in a trailer park. You're in a trailer. The toilets are not designed to hold, like, tons of weed and pills and all this other stuff that we were flushing down it. So we're flushing and we're flushing. And then finally I answer the door. And when I do, they want to come in. And I'm like, look, my dad's a cop. I already know the situation. If you don't have a search warrant, you're not coming to my house. So I'm like, if y'all don't have a search warrant, y'all just need to just wait because y'all are not coming in our home. I'm sorry. So... Anyway, they backed off a minute, which gave us a little bit more time to get things situated. And praise God, we didn't go to jail that day because we really could have. They ended up leaving. So um, we didn't, they didn't come in and search the house. They did ask some questions, but they didn't come in and search the house. And that was like, oh my gosh, it was the scariest moment. My kid could have been taken. I could have went to prison. My ex could have went to prison, you know, again. And that wasn't enough to scare me. So, move on. I have my second kid. We're still together off and on, off and on. We finally decide to split up. And in that time, I end up, again, with another man that deals drugs. And that was just a thing. Like, who I was, what was my outlook on life or who I thought I deserved or what I thought I deserved because here I was... I was a stripper, I was a drug dealer, I was a drug addict, I was an alcoholic, I was all these things. What did I deserve out of life? So I was just settling for these men that didn't value me, that didn't see the value in me. If they were willing to sleep with me, I thought they loved me. Only because this fictitious thing that was planted in my mind as a child from being abused, that love is sexual touch. Well newsflash America, it's not. Love is not sexual touch. So in a marriage, it's different. So that's a whole nother story and we'll get into that one day. But whenever someone is abused and they're told that they are loved or that they love you, it plants something in you. And from that moment on, you're always seeking out that physical, that physical action of love you're always seeking out to fill that void of, oh my gosh, they won't look at me. They won't touch me. They don't love me. That's not the way it should be. That's not the way that God designed this to be, our sex to be even. So, 
here I was in these relationships with people and not married, messing around, doing whatever, and kids are okay. The kid's dad's in prison. I'm raising the kids. Thank God for outside help. Um, at this time, I'd started doing home health. I started getting my GED, started turning things around a bit, and then met somebody online. They moved all the way from Florida to here in Texas, and we were still dealing drugs. He was so toxic. This man was really toxic, and I just didn't think anything of it. We were drinking. We were, you know, selling drugs and doing drugs, and... Anyway, that relationship lasted about seven years. During that seven years, he would leave for a week at a time and tell me how horrible of a wife I was and how horrible of a person I was, and then I'd let him right back in. So, during that relationship, I, um, I'd i got a dog, and we had the house, and we had the animal rescue, and Dad and my brother was living with me, and all things looked as though they were amazing, right? And um, the dog died. A tree fell in our house. And we were ejected out of our home into a hotel. Dad ended up buying back my grandpa's old house. And I was sitting in a hotel and I was just broken. I was just so sad. Life in itself had come to an end. I lost the brick house. We lost the dog that I loved. We lost this. We lost that. I'm just like at my rope's end and just so broken inside. What do I do? Where do I go? Like, we don't have a place to live. We're living in a hotel. Our stuff is in my dad's garage. And... I turn on Facebook one day and there's this woman and this man in a wheelchair and they're giving their testimony about a local church and I'd seen that video before and I was like man I'm gonna go to that church one day I'm gonna go visit them and I that day I was like I'm gonna go to this church I really need to check this out but I was afraid to because I was like man if this church is like the one I grew up in they're gonna tell me I'm going to hell because I'm shacked up with this man I had kids out of marriage you know, they're just going to want to sit, you know, me to sit there on a bench and read the Bible and they're going to tell me I'm going to hell. I just know it. So around the end of December, October is when the tree fell in our house. December, the end of December, I think it was maybe, I had decided the kids were gone to the Remy's and the ex was working and I was like, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to work, go to, not work, sorry. I'm going to go to this church and I walked into that church and just from the moment that I walked into it, the front doors, I just felt this amazing love. Like, never have I walked in a church and felt the love that I felt in that church. And it was amazing. It was just, it was crazy the way it felt. And I walked into the sanctuary and I sat in the very back because we have an area where it sits basically on floor level and then it's like bleachers in the back. And I sat in the back and the whole time the preacher's preaching like, everything's making sense to me. I can understand this guy. Why, how do I understand this guy when I didn't understand the guy whenever I was 13 years old? Like, this guy was relatable. He was talking about drinking, living in a trailer park, like, just completely relatable. And I just sat there in that church and just cried my eyes out. And then they called for the prayer partners to come down. And I went down for prayer, and I don't recall exactly who it was that prayed for me that day. But it was two older ladies and they were so in tears. They were just so upset because what I just went through, how I lost the house and the dog and, you know, we're in a hotel and they're like, oh my gosh, let's get you some help. Like, what can we do? Like, do you need money? And I'm like, no, I just need my life to be fixed. I just need a home for my kids. I just need this to be okay. And at that point, I just started going to church. I started 
doing the Wednesday night thing, joined a small group. I got connected with these amazing people. And during this time, like things started to grow and I started to become a different person. And I was like, wow, like, what is this? Like, this is real. And somebody's like, somebody in the church told me they were like, man, you're an evangelist. And I was like, I called my dad and I was like, dad, I don't even know what this big E word means, but these people just said that I'm that and I don't even know what it is, but okay. And he's like, babe, that's what I am. My dad was an evangelist. He was a preacher. He had a healing ministry, all that good stuff. So I was like, oh, that's pretty awesome. And he's like, yeah, he's like, you know, he was excited to know that I was finally in church. We'll get into that another time. But, um, so I was so excited because I finally walked into a church and they was expressing to me that I had a calling. I had never walked into a church before and they told me that I had a calling. Usually it was oh, you're a woman, you're just sit there with your mouth shut and not say anything, but not this church. They were ready to sow into me. They were ready to sow into my kids. They were telling us, like, who we were and what God feels and what He thinks of us. And, and it was amazing. It was just amazing. I was making friends with people that had loved Jesus and they didn't drink and do drugs. And during this time, I was still struggling. I was doing drugs, not doing drugs, drinking, which is a drug. Um, I was messing around with the man that I was with at the time whenever I don't know how long it was into that maybe it was like two or three months in this guy that I was messing with that I'd been with for years he had come in and he's like listen I won't come second to anybody so it's either me or your God and I told him I said listen I'll never put another man over my my God so I'm gonna have to help you pack and I helped him pack and I helped him leave and that was it from there on out like I didn't talk to him ever again and that was one of the biggest blessings of my life is that a man had come in and thought he was going to run my life. But the deal is, is that God wanted to be the number one man in my life. And until I put him there, I struggled. I struggled really hard. So he was gone and out of the picture. I started going out to the bar again, even in church, and uh, started messing around, being promiscuous I stopped drinking, stopped doing drugs, and I went to the church one day and I was like, God, what's the deal? Like, I'm doing all these things. I'm volunteering. I'm helping people. I'm praying. I'm at the church every Sunday and Wednesday. I'm not drinking. I'm not smoking no more. God, what's wrong? Like, why are you not blessing me? And the Lord clearly pointed out to me, he's like, but you're still being promiscuous. You're still sleeping around. Your body is a temple for me. That is my temple. That is mine. You were to hold yourself at a different stature. And I'm like, oh my goodness. You would have thought that somebody just dropped a bomb in my life because never in my life had I thought about what being pure meant and how it affected my life. And I know a lot of people are against this book, but whenever I started reading this book, it really hit me in a profound way. It's called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. I know the author is not a Christian anymore. I don't really care because the book was amazing. So in the beginning of that book, the book talk he's talking about like this couple goes to get married. The woman is at the altar, or the man's at the altar. The woman's at the altar now. And they say, speak now or forever hold your peace. So... One woman comes in and grabs his hand. Another woman, I'm paraphrasing at this point, and just like on and on and on. Finally, there's women wrapped around the church. And the wife is like, who are all these women? Why are they here? And he says, well, these are all the women that I gave a piece of my heart to, and now I don't have anything left to give you. And when I read that, I just bawled. I just cried because I thought about 
all the men in my life that I had given a piece of myself to that I should not have. All the men that I allowed to play house and play husband in my life that I should not have. And it's not that I can rewind all that, but it's the fact that I finally understood what God's word meant. I finally understood what my body was rather than it be a toy or whether it be my body was not meant to use and abuse. My body wasn't meant to be molested or raped. My body was not meant to put drugs and alcohol in. My body was meant to be a, a temple for God. Like God gave me this body. He only gave me one. He didn't give me two, three, four, five. He gave me one body and I am supposed to hold myself at a different stature. And that was when life changing things took place. So I started walking out this walk of celibacy. I wasn't having sex. I would go out to eat with men. I would invite them to church. Sure, we can go on a date. You want to come to church? That's my date. And every one of them, they would just like push me away. It, it, it was really awesome because when you tell an individual that you're not going to have sex with them, you really get to see what they're after. So let's just say they dropped like flies. So during that time, um, I had did a photo shoot and it was with a local person and I was definitely not fully dressed and all these people at church was like oh my gosh and I at the time didn't see anything wrong with it but it was during that time whenever I was letting go of that sleeping around and all that anyway I know now I was wrong I know now that I should have never posted that but on Facebook, all these people were coming to see me half naked, and then whenever God was changing all these things in me, they stayed longer, and they, more people came along, and just, I didn't realize that whenever I started to share my lifestyle and what had happened, like, these people were just like, oh my gosh, they needed that. They needed me to share with them that I was a hopeless drug addict, that I was a hopeless alcoholic, that I was a hopeless stripper, that now I found hope, that now I found peace, that now I know that I can wake up in the morning and know that I was put on this earth for a reason and it wasn't to be abused, it wasn't to be an alcoholic or a drug addict, and it wasn't to be a stripper. It wasn't to be any of these things that the world had implanted into my mind that I should be. So, waking up every morning and just being like, Thank you, God, for today. Thank you, God, for the roof on our house. Thank you, God, for the yard. Thank you for the kids. Thank you for the everything in my life. Like, I wake up and I just really thank God for it. I might not have everything that is the best, but I'm telling you one thing. I have more today than I've ever had in my life. And when I lost that house and I lost that man and I lost all those things in my life that I thought was something, it was nothing because the moment that I... I went running to God was the moment that I realized that I had everything I needed and that was God. And it brings me to tears to say that because never in my life have I had a relationship like I have with God. He is my all. He is my everything. And, you know, long story, I'm going to come to an end here soon, but I'm married now. I'm grateful. I'm thankful. I'm so blessed. I'm so happy that I held, that I was like celibate for so long before I got married I'm grateful for the fact that, you know, my husband even listened. Like, whenever we met, he knew. I told him, I said, listen, God is my husband, and that's that. Like, as we said in the streets, bar none, fade all. It's me and God till the end. That's it. Like, I don't care who you are, what you are. 
I don't care what the world has for me, but I'm not looking back on that life. I can't do it. My hope, my love, my life is in God himself. He sent his son to die for me, and there's no greater love in this world. So when I explained to you that I was hopeless, that I was horrible, that I was I was called all these names and these things, and I know today that every one of them names that was put on me are now taken off of me because each one of them was a scar and a band-aid that was ripped off and and the blood of Jesus was applied to it and now it's healed and made whole. I know now that I am a child of the King, that I am God's favorite daughter and I'll fight with anybody on that. <laughs> And I know that he set me free. I didn't go to NA. I didn't go to AA. And I'm not telling you not to do that. Because if it works for you, please continue to do it. Just know that there is more to life than walking in a meeting. Just know that there is not just a higher power. There is one higher power. And that is our God. And he is ready to set you free. He is ready for you to be free from drug addiction, alcohol, pornography, fornication, uh, promiscuousness, whatever it is that has you bound up and tangled in your life right now, that God is ready to set you free. You just have to reach out to Him. I'm not a person that will sit back and sit in a meeting because I do recovery meetings and my husband and I have um, Reckless Love Recovery. It's 12-step Christ-centered program. We're no longer having it in a person, but we will do Zoom meetings if you want it. I will do them for you if, if that's what you need. But when you come into a group... You don't proclaim yourself to be a drug addict. I don't proclaim myself to be an alcoholic. I don't proclaim myself to be a drug addict, a stripper, none of these things. I am a free child of God. I am no longer addicted. I am no longer bound by these things. And I had someone tell me a while back that the moment they stop saying that they're an alcoholic is the moment they can take a drink. Well, guess what? I'm a firm believer if them if you continuously have to call yourself something you're speaking that over yourself. In the Bible it tells you that there is death and life in the tongue and whatever we speak comes to pass. We are prophetic people. We are people that what we speak will come to pass. So whenever you speak these things over yourself that I am quote unquote an alcoholic, drug addict, what have you, you're speaking that over yourself. What you need to do today is speak over yourself that I am free from drugs. I am free from alcohol. I am free from pornography. I am free from sexual addictions. I am free from my past that has helped me bound for all these years. But with that, when you proclaim yourself as free, just know that it's an everyday thing. It's an every moment thing. You have to talk it out. You have to walk it out. And only by the grace of God am I here. I'm excited. Um, I probably just went off on a whirlwind of stuff. I do have a ton more things to share that's happened in the last five years. But needless to say, God took me from a hopeless, horrible person to somebody that everywhere I look, there's hope. Everywhere where I look and I see somebody that's struggling, I know that that's somebody's mother, daughter, brother, sister, uncle, whoever it is. Each and every person that was put on this earth was put on this earth by God to worship Him. And He won't be satisfied until they're all rescued. So, I'm just going to say that if you need help, reach out to either my Facebook page. You can directly email me at recklessloverecovery at gmail.com and that's love is L-U-V so it's recklessloverecovery at gmail.com also you can um, Instagram me or 
Facebook me, whatever it is. But again, if you need help, if you need rehab, reach out. If you need prayer, reach out. I'm always here. I just want to share with you that if you don't have any hope today, have hope in the fact that I was dead. I was going to hell. I was that lost individual. And if this is a parent listening, listen, keep praying for your kid. Keep praying for your kid. That's all I can say because I had a warring father. I had a warring grandmother. I had these individuals in my life that was praying for me every single day. And it was the little things. My dad would pray that I would get banned and barred from every bar in a certain town. And it happened. It didn't take long, but it happened. And that was one step into my freedom. So, again, if you are a parent and you are struggling with a child, if you're struggling with a spouse, just know that God does heal and set free. I'm proof of it. My husband's proof of it. We have so many people that's proof of it. So... I love y'all. God bless y'all. Thank you for listening and tuning in. I'm sorry this one's a little bit long. The next ones will be shorter, but I just look forward to sharing with you what all God is speaking to me in this season. So be blessed. Love you. Have a wonderful rest of your evening.